Bowery. <clears throat> All right, well, welcome to Providence Baptist Church, also known as uh, Joe in the Volcano. <clears throat> that was like a dad joke. It is Father's Day, so I can do that. Uh, happy Father's Day, though, and I think it's really just amazing how in the Lord's providence and timing where we are at in the book of Ephesians just lines up so well with the, the calendar right now. Um, that Father's Day lands on this day when we have this word specifically to children and to parents, uh, but in particular, fathers. And so uh, we're going to make our way through that. So if you have a Bible, make your way to where Valerie was just reading from, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And while you're getting there, on Tuesday afternoon, just all of a sudden, uh, Sarah and I decided to take off to the beach with the kids. And so we, we did it the next morning, but that night we, we found a place uh, to stay and got everything arranged to, for, for Luther. And we had to get some stuff done on our, on our van before we drove. And we took off and we got back yesterday afternoon. But while we were there, one of the things that the older kids in particular did was uh, spend a lot of time out at the sandbar um, diving down and, and catching uh, starfish, not starfish, uh, sand dollars. And not the like dead ones that are white and kind of faded out, but actual live sand dollars. And, uh, you know, outside of turning your fingers yellow, which is something apparently that live ones do, one of the things that, that you notice with sand dollars is no two are the exact same. Everyone's a little bit different. They were all kind of, instead of being white, they're, they're kind of dark. Um, some of them kind of had a purple hue to them, but every single one was different size, a little bit of different shape, a little different design on it. But it just reminded us of the, of the fact that every single one of those, every single one of them was different and unique. And it's the same thing as we think about our children. Every single one of our children is different and unique. And every child has different strengths, different weaknesses. They have different personalities. They learn differently. They receive discipline or not or don't receive discipline in, in different ways. And so one of the things we want to be careful of doing is just putting kind of a blank template across all children and understanding, okay, all my kids and my family will respond to this certain you know, style of discipline, this certain style of instruction, this certain, you know, this, like it's got to happen this way. Rather, we want to understand from God's word, just scripturally, some principles that undergird how we are to raise our children, how we are to nurture them, how we are to discipline and instruct them. Because no two child, no, no two children are the same. And this just reminds us of God's Beautiful creativity and, and the dignity, the individual dignity that he puts into each one of our kids. And as we begin thinking about parenting, I would very much, I would argue very strongly that there is nothing that reminds me more of my need of grace than being a parent. Because I fail. So often. And so I need grace so mightily. Because if, if my parenting, like, if it is all on me to make sure I don't mess my kids up, then I'm sorry. But it's not all on me. It's not all on, all on Sarah. 
There is grace from our Heavenly Father. There is mercy. There is forgiveness. There is the covering of our sins. But nevertheless, God has placed a huge amount of responsibility on parents. And in particular, it's Father's Day, as we'll see in verse 4, fathers. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to walk us through this section of Scripture, chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, and I want us to look at God's call to both children and God's call to parents. And those are going to be points 2 and 3 if you're taking notes. Point 2 will be God's call to children. Point 3 will be God's call to parents. But before we get to those, we need to talk about point one. And that's really getting after like, what is God's goal for parenting? What is God's goal for parenting? And I want you to notice also that, I mean, you know this, Ephesians is a book that was written to the church at Ephesus. And so it is a, a book that is for everyone. So this is not like a passage just for parents. This is, it's addressed to children. So Paul knew as he was writing that children would be in the presence of the church. And he knew that people who did not have children would be in the church. And so this is a passage, not just for parents and kids. This is a passage for everybody. Whether you had kids, have kids, want to have kids, weren't able to have kids, empty nester, or you are a kid, we are all in this together as a family of faith, which means that the kids that are a part of this church, some that are in here, some that are in other service, some that aren't ready to come back yet from uh, Corona, on one level, they are your kids. Because we are a family. And so you're to pray for them. You're to love them. You're to teach them. You're to nurture them. Now, parents are their parents, obviously. They have the special role, but you're to love and pray and teach and serve them. And that's exactly what we pledge when we stand up here and do a parent-child dedication. It is a pledge that, hey, we as parents that are doing, doing the parent-child dedication are pledging to try to raise this child in accordance with Ephesians 6. But it's also the church saying, hey, and we're surrounding you and we're going to help you. And so this is for everyone. So let's all listen together. Um, and we'll talk first about God's goal for parenting. Then we'll roll into some specific calls to children as well as to parents. And so God's goal for parenting. If I asked you, you know, what is God's goal for parenting? You guys would give me a Sunday school answer. And I would say you're exactly right. Like God's goal for parenting is that we would raise our children to love Jesus. That is his goal. Isn't it's exactly right? We want to raise our children to know Jesus, love Jesus, worship Jesus, and follow Jesus. That's the goal. To know him, love him, worship him, and follow him. And the reason is because the spirit-filled home displays the beauty and blessing of living under God's role, God's rule. I'll read it again. The spirit-filled home displays the beauty and blessing of living under God's rule, under God's authority. Authority is not a bad thing. Abused authority is a bad thing. Proper authority is a good thing. We all live under authority. The authority of the Lord is our ultimate king. And there's different levels of authority. 
The Spirit-filled home displays the beauty and blessing of living under God's rule. And so let's just think context for a moment where we're at here in Ephesians 6. In this study, over the last, we're, we're in a little mini-series. Over the last couple of weeks, we've kind of been talking about this. Beginning in chapter 5, we saw the, the, you know, the call to walk in the Spirit. And we saw how one of the aspects of that is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then Paul immediately flows out of that into three practical outworkings of places that submission uh, is needed or some aspect of, of submission. It looks a little different in each one. And what he's really getting at is, is hearkening back to the creation mandate in the book of Genesis. So when you look at Genesis chapter 2, he says it's not good that man would be alone. So you have Adam and Eve and, and, and he creates the institution of marriage. And he tells them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with worshipers of me. Right? So just follow this here. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 22 through 33, marriage. Now, children and parenting. And then next week, we'll see the next aspect of the cultural mandate back in Genesis 2. He says to, you know, subdue the earth and have dominion over it for the flourishing of humankind. And so it's, a, it's, it's talking about work. It's talking about our vocation. And that's what we'll get into next week. And so what's, what happened in Genesis is that was marred. Man and Adam and Eve sinned. They marred that. They broke that cultural, that creation mandate. And here, Paul is helping us to recover that. And he's calling us to see that it is a, there's beauty and there's blessing in living under God's rule. And so as we understand that blessing and that beauty, we're reminded that our goal here is to raise children, again, who will love and honor and cherish and value Jesus. And to do so and to point them that that is Jesus, the value of Jesus reigns over their grades. It reigns over whatever activity that they're involved in. Sports activity, dance, band, clubs, whatever. That We value Jesus more than those things. And we see Him as supreme over all of these things. Over all of the God replacements that, that all of us, not just kids and teenagers, but that all of us so often fill our lives with. God replacements that will not satisfy us. And that will ultimately crumble. And so if you have small children, listen, good behavior in the store, when people are around and watching, it's not a bad thing to desire. But that is not God's ultimate goal for your children. If you have older kids being, you know, well socially adjusted, that's not your ultimate goal for your kids. That's not God's ultimate goal for your kids. God's ultimate goal is for parents to raise their kids to love Jesus, worship Jesus, trust Jesus, and follow Jesus. And so that means we've got to pause and ask the question, is that what I'm doing? If you don't have kids yet, is that, like, learn from this. What, what, how, how, what is my goal for my children going to be? If you do have kids, what, what is my goal? Is raising my children to know Jesus, love Jesus, worship Jesus, pursue Jesus my ultimate goal? And everybody in here is going to say yes. 
But we need to drill down and say, okay, well, let's look at what we give our time to. Let's look at what we push our kids towards. Let's look at what we value. What emphasis do we, do we give? Do we push our kids more to these things over here, devoid of Scripture, devoid of God's call in their life? Or do we push them to know and love and worship? What are you most concerned with? The American dream or God's dream? Be honest. Ask yourself these things. And if it's the latter, or if it's the former, repent. If you're more concerned, or you've been more concerned about the American dream versus God's dream, then drop this one. And grab hold of this one and run headlong after it. And maybe today will be the beginning of that. Because we are not simply air conditioning our children's train ride to hell. We are not seeking just comfort that train. We are seeking to show them and point them to the one who can rescue them from hell. Rescue them from their sins. Because he bore their sins on the cross in their place as their substitute. And he rose again in victory over sin and death. Parents, push your kids to know that. To get that, to believe that, and to stake their lives on it. Not on the American dream. On God's dream. And so, beyond any parenting technique that you could ever employ, read about, put into your life, any quality education, any extracurricular activity, Beyond all that, the best thing you can give your kids is a passion for Christ. If you only hear one thing I hear this morning, hear that. The best thing you can give your child for their own everlasting and ever-increasing joy is a passion for Jesus Christ. Which means, as John Piper really puts it well, what you are in relation to God is far more important than any particular parenting technique you try to employ. What you are. I mean, will your children hope in God if all they've ever seen you do is hope in money? Will your children be happy in God if all they've ever seen you is be happy in fishing or in sports or in some other extracurricular activity? That's where my dad's happy. So if that's where happiness is found, well, it certainly can't be over here. Will your children be confident in God if they've only seen you be confident in yourself? And so the most important thing you can do for your kids is to be converted to Christ. And so if you have never trusted Jesus by faith, truly, you've been in church your whole life, but you've never trusted Jesus by faith, do so today. Trust Him. Receive His free gift of salvation that He offers to any who believe. That is the greatest thing you can do for yourself And it's the greatest thing you can do for your kids. 
Be converted to Christ and then live that out. The most important strategy for rearing children is to become a new person in Christ. A person who, Ephesians 4, just going back a little bit, verse 22, puts off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, I mean, here's how we're to live this out. Here's this, and this is what we, the primary place we spend the bulk of our time living this out is in our home. Listen, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Listen to this. In your own home, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And so the goal that we are aiming at in our parenting is to raise children who will worship Jesus, know Jesus, love Jesus, follow Jesus, who will worship and enjoy God and lead others to do the same. That's our goal for parenting. And what Scripture is teaching us is that that is more caught than taught. So help your kids catch it by living it. And listen, obviously, I I get that you can't control their choices. You can't control their eternal destiny. Children are not machines that you put the right inputs into. You automatically get the right output. I've seen horrible parents have amazing children. I've seen amazing parents have horrible children. You can't control that. But we can lay tons and tons of kindling around our children and beg our guts out for the Lord to ignite it. And so that's what we want to do. That's God's goal for parenting. Our, ki- our, our, our own sin and our children's complexities make them so much... They are, that, that idea... When Sarah and I first became parents, we, we read all kinds of parenting books. That's great. That's wonderful. But some of those books seem to treat our children as machines. Do this. Do, do, do. Get this. It doesn't work that way. Beg the Lord. Plead. Pray. And lay kindling. Lots of it. Push your children to know and love and value and follow Jesus. That's God's goal for parenting. Now let's get into the specific calls here to children and God's call to parents. And we'll go with God's call to children first because it's mentioned first. So look at chapter 6 again, verses 1 through 3 with me. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this 
is right. Just dropping some natural law there. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Specifically, this is the fifth commandment, but it's the first horizontal commandment and it's the first one that comes with a promise. That promise is that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, obviously, if you honor your mother and father, it's not a guarantee that like, you're going to have a long life or things are going to go perfect. But in principle, as you obey God, things go better for you. Eternally. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, I want you to know it says parents there. Children, obey your parents. And then verse 2, honor your father and mother. And so obviously this passage is connected to the previous passage, which was all about marriage. And so throughout Scripture, you see that there's a connection between a healthy marriage and healthy parenting. This is the good and right design of God. But we're talking ideal here. But we don't always live in an ideal situation. And this is where grace comes in. Grace is not just something that happens one time at the moment of salvation. We saw in Ephesians 1 that the Lord lavishes grace upon His people. And so where the ideal is lacking, grace abounds. And so don't lose heart if your situation isn't ideal. Lean into Christ and let His grace carry you. Where the ideal is lacking, grace abounds. But nevertheless, if you are married, one of the best things you can do for your your child is to love your spouse well. It's one of the best ways that you can love them and guard them and give security to your children. And so guard and work at your marriage. Honor their mother. Honor their father. In God's design, there's a link. Okay? But children, specifically here is what you are called to do. You are called to obey your parents. And here's why. Every kid, every student, everyone who is a child, and I'll define that for just a second. There are extenuating circumstances and there are individuals who who maybe have a special need or something who are going to need to live with their parents for a long time. I get that. But on the whole, if you are just living in your parents' house, playing Xbox, not getting a job, you're still, and you're 25, you're still a child. And so since you live there, since you're that, then you obey your parents. I'm 18. Nope, you're a child. You want to be treated like an adult? Get out, get a job. We are, but parent, children, you are called to obey your parents. And here's why. First of all, because you were created by God to glorify God. You're created by God to glorify God. And that's not just someday. That's right now. And it's partly lived out in the right now by honoring and obeying parents in the Lord. For this is 
right. And so children, you are to obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And so I want to make sure kids don't, don't just hear that like, well, that's convenient for mom and dad. No, no, no. The Lord has this in here for your good, for your benefit. A parent is to exercise authority for your good. Why? Because, children, you don't know everything yet. And I'm not saying parents know everything yet either. But they know a little bit more. I'll give you some examples. When, when everybody in this room was little, right? Wherever you live, whatever your situation, you had some opportunity to play with something. Some of us had lots of toys in the house or whatever. or had tons of stuff to, to play with. But we were... I was, probably you were, intrinsically drawn to those things that could harm you. So, you know, where's the, oh, oh, there, here's grandpa's pills. Look like Tic Tacs. I'll eat them, right? Or you got the, the socket, you know, I'll lick it. I'll, I'll stick something in it. That'll be neat. Um, you know, all these things that, that could harm you. Oh, the stove's on. Wonder what that feels like, right? We're intrinsically drawn to these things. You didn't know the danger of these things, but your parents did. Right? You didn't get it. So what did they do? They put caps. I mean, we even have, we need one over here. We only have one. But you put caps on the electrical sockets. You put locks on the cabinets. You, you put gates on the stairs. You do all of these things to try to protect your children because you know what's a little more dangerous than they do. They don't know what will harm them, what can hurt them. But you do, so you do those things. And your parents did that for your benefit. And it still happens today. So as you age, you, you become a teenager and you suddenly think that you know everything. I remember the smartest I have ever been in my life was when I was 16. I knew everything, right? And that's one of the most dangerous places you can be is to think you know everything when you don't. And so your parents are there to love you and put guardrails around you as you mature and as you love more. So this call from God to obey your parents in the Lord is not just some sort of like, you know, brownie points. He's, he's something he's doing. I'll, I'll, I'll throw some help to my parents and, I, and, and, you know, push the kids down. No, no, no. It's not that. God loves you children, students, and he's doing this for your good. God's word is for our good. And so this call to obey is to help you. And so if your parents call you to do something that, that you just don't like, but it's total I mean it's it's totally fine, you need to obey them. If your parents call you to do something that is sinful, that is wrong, that is harmful, or if they are abusing you in some way, shape, or form, you need to tell someone. Tell someone. You do not need to follow along. Or, or someone else. Somebody, maybe it's not a parent. There's some, someone who's harming you in some way. Tell someone. You can tell a pastor. You can tell a teacher. You can tell your... Sunday school teacher, you can tell a group leader, tell someone, tell someone. But if your parent 
is just asking you to do something and you just don't like it. But it's perfectly fine. You need to obey them. For this is right. They are your authority. We all live under authority. Different levels. They are your authority. I heard Matt Chandler give an illustration one time, kind of explaining like what this would look like. What if, what if antelopes on the plains of Africa acted like many of us did or do? Many of us did when we were younger, when we were teenagers, or many of us do as a teenager. What if antelopes on the plains of Africa a- acted that way? And so, you know, mom antelope is saying, hey, when lions come around, we need to be aware. We need to run. I don't need to run. I'm faster than them. I can get out of that. Well, for thousands of years, lions have eaten antelopes. So you see one, we need to run. Well, I'll be the one exception. I'll be okay. That's going to go bad, right? It's the same thing here, kids. You're not the exception on this. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is God's call. And it's not a blanket statement for cruel parents. Rather, it's part of God's very good created order for human flourishing. He set it up for our good. He knows what he's doing. And then Paul also mentions here the, the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother. That's what we are to do. And obviously this is going to change as we age. Like the call to obey our parents will end when we stop being children. But the call to honor our father and mother will continue for our entire lives. As long as they have life on this earth. And even then we honor them with our memories. And so students and and, and kids, one of the ways you honor your mother and father at this time, at this point in your life, is with your attitude. You do not honor... When you huff and puff and, and talk back and pout. That is not honoring to your parents. And more than that, that is not honoring to God. In fact, it is dishonoring to God when you dishonor your parents. It is a Ten Commandment, right? And because you need to know that. When you dishonor your parents, you are dishonoring God. It says way more about what you think about God than it does necessarily about what you think about your parents. And so what does child, kids, students, what does your attitude say about you? And a child that does not grow up learning to honor and respect their parents a lot of times winds up not honoring and respecting others. But then those of us with older parents, we should honor our parents as well. And this doesn't mean obedience anymore, but it does mean honor and respect always. And a special caring for our parents as they age. Helping them and being there, being there for them. And so my parents are watching. Today's their 51st anniversary. Happy anniversary. They modeled that well for me. That's God's call to children. To obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. To honor your father and mother. And then look at God's call to parents, and especially fathers. Look at verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction 
of the Lord. And so listen to me, this verse no doubt implies mothers and and fathers. In fact, the word that's translated fathers there is used in Hebrews 11.23 for parents. And so both are kind of embedded here, but there is an emphasis all throughout scriptures on the father leading his family. And with it being Father's Day, we're going to emphasize that. Because like it or not, dads, a lot of times, not always, and, and there's grace, you know, again, where the ideal is lacking, grace abounds. But a lot of times, dads, you are the first picture of what God the Father is like to your child. And so if you are overbearing and domineering, that's going to be their first thought of God the Father. If you are passive or aloof, that's going to be their first thought of God the Father. And so there's a, weighty, a weightiness to this of how we are to live. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. We're not to lead them down into discouragement. And, and, and to be clear, this isn't saying you're not ever going to make your kids mad. You're going to make them mad. A lot. One of the most loving words you can say sometimes is no. And that's going to make them mad. Sometimes we need to say yes a little bit more. We don't need to just, one of the things I struggle with, I'm just going to jump off the subject for a minute and just tell you one of the things I struggle with. I struggle with a wrong-headed, a, a, a wrong-headed um, disciplining of my kids based upon my annoyance. They're not sinning. They're just annoying me. Now, once I tell them, stop annoying me, if they keep on, now it's sin, right? Because now they're disobeying. But what I need to not do is just... They're not doing anything wrong. I'm just being annoyed. That's my problem. I need to deal with that. That's something I'm trying to grow in. That can provoke them to anger. We're called not to provoke them to anger, but obviously sometimes we are going to make our kids upset by doing the right thing. But the idea here in in this not provoking is like, it's like how you do it. How you, like we have, to, we have to teach obedience. We have to teach discipline. And in doing that, there's going to be some anger that comes. But our call is not to provoke that. Not to do things that provoke that. You can train, put it like this. You can train, if you've ever been around someone breaking a horse. You may have seen something like this. But you can break a horse. You can train a horse little by little by little by little. And lead it to become an amazing horse still full of spirit and life. Or you can just break that horse. And yeah, it'll become submissive and it'll become compliant. But you just broke its spirit. And that horse won't be all it could have been. That's the idea here. It's about how we're not trying to bully people into submission. And few of us in this room would do something like that on purpose. I don't think we would seek to do that. But sometimes we, I, slip into habits. And maybe even we start doing this without even realizing it a little bit. Instead of pointing our children to love Jesus, follow Jesus, value Jesus. Instead we pummel them. Into the ground, provoking them and leading them to anger, or as the corollary in Colossians puts it, discouragement. And so let me give you a couple of examples of how 
I do this sometimes, and how it's very evident to see in culture. One example. Sometimes, here's one. Expecting your kids to be perfect. This can lead your kids to discouragement. It can provoke your children to anger. Expecting your kids to be perfect. I want more than anything for my kids to love Jesus, follow Jesus, pursue Jesus, value Him as supreme, their treasure over everything. Absolutely, that's what I want. I want to push them towards that. But I also need to remember, and you need to remember, your kids are kids. Your little three-year-olds are three. Your ten-year-olds are ten. Your sixteen-year-olds are sixteen. Don't expect your children to be perfect. Are you? Don't expect perfection. Point them in the right direction. Push them in the right direction. But don't expect that. And definitely don't demand more of them when people are around and looking than you do otherwise. When you do that, all you're doing is raising a little performing faker. So don't expect your kids to be perfect. Now, don't go to the other extreme, other extreme either and just be totally passive. Well, I'm not going to worry about any of that because I don't want to be overbearing. Or, or I want my kids to be my friend. When they're adults, y'all can be friends. When you're a parent, you're a parent, not a friend. That mean you're not friendly, but there's a distinction there. Have some expectations, yes, but be reasonable. And listen, just a plea for me, for Chad, for John, and for all the elders in here. Don't expect more of a pastor's kid or an elder's kid than you do any other kid. They are just kids. No different. Expecting your kids to be perfect. That's one way. Another one. Closely related, fault finding. This is a way you can provoke your kids to anger and to discouragement. Parents who only find the negative in anything their kids do. They could have an A and they could have a hundred in everything, but they have a 99 in one. And all you talk about is that 99. You don't praise them for all the hundreds, you just rip them for the 99. Or they played a great game or they had a great concert, but they missed one play, they missed one note. You don't talk about all that they did right. You talk about the one thing that they did wrong. Now, this does not mean, and kids, this does not mean that when your parents now, you go home and they point out something that you did right, that you all of a sudden say, well, you know, you you didn't affirm me for all these other things. You're just pointing, no, 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 don't you pull that. You do want to coach your kids up. You do want to help them learn from their mistakes. You do want to help them grow in things. But make sure that there is just as much affirmation as there is admonishment. Make sure there's just as much affirmation as there is admonishment. And so if we're not to lead them to discouragement, let's flip that around. Lead them with encouragement. And so balance those things. You see why we need grace? This is a hard thing to do. And where you failed at this, like I have, go to your kids and tell them. And repent. And show them that mommy and daddy need Jesus just as much as they do. That we are sinners. That I am a sinner and I need Christ. 
I need forgiveness from sin. And in doing that, you're modeling them. You're teaching repentance. You're teaching to ask for forgiveness. Something that not just the culture, but the church is sorely lacking. To look at someone else and say, will you please forgive me? I blew it. And I'm sorry. Fault finding. Perfectionism. I'll give you another one. Neglect. Neglect. And you're like, Joe, my kids aren't neglected. No, no one's calling DCS. They're fed. They've got every mo- everything money could buy. They're fine. Do they have you? Are you around? And I don't just mean physically. In the same building, but on your phone. In the same building, but still doing work. In the same building, but on a device. Are you there? Are you present? When you come home, your job's not done. If you have small children, you take your shoes off, you get on the floor and you play. If you have older children, you ask questions, you inquire. How was your day? Know their doubts, know their fears, know their concerns, know their worries. Know their friends. And put your phone down. And I'm talking to me as much as I am anybody. I normally like to ask my kids about an illustration that concerns them before I ever use one. I just want to give them that courtesy. But I didn't this morning, so I'm about to tread on some dangerous water for just a second. I don't think it's too bad, though. My oldest is 15. That means I've got three years before she starts transitioning out of the home, like goes to college, at home, summers, that, that sort of thing. Three years. And when I think about that, man, it guts me. It hurts me. Because I also think about all the time I've wasted on frivolous things. Oh, I wish I had that time back. Love your kids with time. I promise you won't regret it. I promise you won't regret it. Give them time. Give them yourself. And just love them. Cherish them. Even here in verse 6 where it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. That that word, bring them up, the verb there doesn't really capture the flavor. It's it's used in chapter 5 where it talks about nourishing. And so Calvin translates this as cherish them. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but cherish them. And yet you discipline. Yes, you instruct them. Yes, you do those things. But love them. Use your words and and use your life. Show them. Tell them, yes, but show them. It's one of the greatest things my parents did for me, my dad did for me, is to show me. Don't just tell me you love me. Show me, right? Paul Johnson was a coach at Georgia Tech years ago, and he would say, don't just show me you can do it. 
Or don't just tell me you can do it. Show me. Let's state it and let's show it. And above all, give them Jesus. Probably the most important thing, one line or two lines or how many lines you have to count them up, that's ever been given me as far as a parenting tip was from the president of my seminary named Danny Aiken. He, and he, it was very simple. His philosophy of parenting was very simple. And it was this. Have fun and talk about Jesus a lot. Have lots of fun and talk about Jesus a lot. Talk about Him like formally. And you have a time of, of family devotion, family worship for our family. Right now, that's in the mornings generally. And other times in, in our life, it was in the evening. So there needs to be a formal time. But even more than that, an informal time. Just as you go. When John, re- John read the, the Shema from Deuteronomy, you see it's talking about, you know, as you are sitting and as you're lying down and as you're going around. It's just as you go, looking for opportunities to point your kids to Christ. Give them Jesus. Now, we're going to fail. Parents, we're going to struggle with this. And we're going to fail at times. And maybe the Lord's been kind enough to you during this time to even point out some areas where you've not done all that you could. And this is not a time to like beat up and feel bad about this. This is a time to take stock and say, okay. And remember where where the ideal is lacking, grace abounds. But it is a time to say, okay, maybe I need to tweak this. Maybe I need to pursue this. Maybe I need to recalibrate a little thing, a little bit. But let me encourage you with this again. If, if there are areas that you failed, repent to your kid. To your, if there are areas where you have not, repent, model, teach, point them to Jesus. That's the whole thing we want to do is we want to point them to Jesus. We'll point them to Jesus even in your own repentance. Point them to Jesus. And again, let them see that you need Jesus. You need Christ and they do too. And he's always there. You don't, don't be so prideful you want them to think, oh, my dad's the man. No, have them think Jesus is the man. Son, He's the man. Sweetheart, He's the man. And you know what? He's always there. And He loves you and He's for you. Run to Him. And so because of that, despite our failings, despite my failings, we live in hope and we live in courage again where the ideal is lacking. Grace abounds because God loves our kids even more than we do. And He's entrusted them to us for. A season, like they need a stamp on them that says limited time only. We only have them for so long. They're wet concrete. We only have so long before the mold. And again, we can't control everything. But we can lay kindling. And so let's lay kindling. And kids, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. They love you. And they are for you. And so for the glory of God, let's do this, all of us, parents and kids and church. Let's pray. Father, the greatest thing we could pray is help us. Lord, help us. Help us with 
our parenting. Help us with raising our children. It's a weighty thing, but also help us with false guilt. And we are not, this is not, particularly as we're talking about Father's Day, today's not a day to gang up on dad. But this is a day, Lord, that we want to take stock of where we're at and we want to run to you and we want to pursue you and we want to help our kids better pursue you. And so, Father, help us to not judge our parenting by one incident. And help us also not to judge our parenting based upon how our child, quote-unquote, turns out. Parenting is about faithfulness. So help us to be faithful. And Father, press into our hearts and into our lives that truth that where the ideal is lacking because none of us have the ideal situation, marriage, home life. None of us. This is a broken world. But where the ideal is lacking, grace abounds. And so would you abound in lavish grace upon moms and the dads and the grandparents and the aunts and the uncles and the friends and the children in this place. For your glory and their everlasting good and joy. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, if you have never trusted Jesus, talk about you know, our sinfulness and how there, there's forgiveness of sin. That comes through trusting Jesus, receiving Him as your Lord and Savior. And so again, as I talked about earlier, if you've never done that, do so. You've been in church your whole life, but you've never truly trusted Jesus. Truly trust Him. So if that's something you want to talk about, then I'll be gr- glad to talk about that. But we're going to stand and we're going to sing... He will hold me fast because even as we parent, He will hold us fast. Let's stand.